0: Hi, and welcome to today's episode of the Back to Business podcast. I'm Megan Rogers, and today we were joined by Alistair Rayner of Rayner Ag, who talked to us a little bit about livestock nutrition and feeding options during Rebuild. Alistair, thanks for joining us today.
1: No worries, Megan.
0: Alistair, I wanted to start our, our conversation today about uh, around some of that high level information and, and um, you know, important aspects before we start feeding. So sort of taking a step back before we're actually doing the actual feeding and have a bit of a chat about where we need to sort of position ourselves uh, almost strategically and, and in, in that kind of context before we start the actual feeding. What are your thoughts there?
1: Yeah, yeah look, I, I really think that that's an important thing, Megan, and we've been, guess. Look, four and a half, five years of feeding a stock through droughts has probably, you know, really refined a lot of things for us. And I think the most important point that I always raise with people, it's a bit like part of your business, we set goals, they need to be smart. And when we say smart, that's the acronym that talks about being specific, being measurable, being achievable, being realistic, and being timely. And I think that is vital for efficient nutritional programs with, with livestock. Um, when people aren't smart, um, we see a lot of animal programs starting to fall over. And anecdotally, well my experience in, in this recent five year drought was that um, I think close to about 80% of people were were either overestimating just how good their, their feed was, overestimating how much they were actually feeding, or also overestimating how good their stock were, and at the same time, underestimating um, their livestock's daily needs. You combine those two issues, and you then start to see livestock losing condition very fast. And so that's a result of not being specific about what you're doing, not having some measurements in place, um, not being realistic about your situation, and not setting something achievable in place to do it. Um, and then the other part is also setting some time goals around it because livestock change from day to day but certainly from week to week and month to month so those if you if you can remember to be smart then I think that you're you're on the right track to having a very um, effective feeding program.
0: Uh, It's a good point that you make Alistair particularly in terms of of reassessing where you're up to, because you know obviously a, a dry cow or a dry ewe has got vastly different requirements to a um, a lactating one or one that's got um, a calf about to be born or you know early lactation or twin twin lambs on board. And I guess you know the important part of, of that is just having a bit of a think about what context and things do change. And I guess in that smart context, we really need to be thinking about how it is that we we're going about um, delivering that. That feed to those animals, but also really importantly, is changing with with what's going on. I just wanted Absolutely. to explore now. Sorry, Alistair. If if can we just explore what the key components of a, a ruminant um, ration need to be?
1: Yeah, and and I guess that that follows directly on where I'm going, Megan. I think that one of the reasons why people are not smart is because they don't necessarily understand how ruminant nutrition really happens. And and we get people very very hung up on um, ration descriptions and feed types and and everything else without really understanding what the process is. So when we we boil it back down, there are four key components for a a balanced ration. But two of those matter much more than anything else. And the the largest and, and most important factor is the amount of energy that the animal actually gets to consume every day. And energy drives everything. Um, and we can talk about it in a couple of ways. We can talk about energy as being uh, maintenance energy, which is how much energy does your animal need to, to be able to breathe, to have a digestive system that functions, to be able to move around and graze and do the things that it does. And, and that energy demand changes very much by the weight of those animals, their sex, the weather, From day to day, the activities that that they're going through, cycling, um, just movement, grazing, those types of activities, through to pasture digestibility. And if there's enough energy to meet those basic maintenance requirements, then the the remainder can then be put into production. So, growth of muscle and then into fat, or into production of wool, or um, for lactating animals, for the production of milk but you only get um, production happening if your energy for maintenance has been met first. And so that has to govern everything you do in terms of making your animal performance targets every day happen is how much energy is in this kilogram of feed I'm providing. The second part of that then goes to how does this rumen actually function? So the rumen is the, the organ that breaks apart the material the animal eats to allow that energy to be absorbed. And that's driven by how the microbes in that rumen function and survive. And those guys need two things. Firstly, they need enough nitrogen to be able to reproduce and be active and break material apart to allow energy to be absorbed. And secondly, they need a pH neutral environment to live in. So we make sure that happens by providing enough nitrogen when we talk about it in terms of crude protein in a, in a ration so that those animal those animal microbes, those bacteria and fungi and so on are functioning. And we tend to, to expect that protein has to be at least equal to the level of energy on a per kilogram basis, and preferably maybe 2% higher than whatever the energy level is. So if it was 10 megs of energy, we'd really like it to be 12% crude protein. That means that we've got a, a functioning rumen that's working to its peak capacity, and we get energy, absorbed out of that diet to meet animals, maintenance and energy requirements. The third part of that happiness, if you like, that neutral environment is driven around um, making sure we keep a pH neutral environment in the rumen for the bugs. And you do that in two ways. One is being able to access enough water each day to drink. So clean, um, easily access drinkable water. It's not restricted because that keeps that rumen liquid balanced but the other part of it and probably one of the big drivers of 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 keeping a ph at a neutral level is rumination if your animals are chewing enough so that's dependent on how much fiber you have in the diet too little fiber so something that's very green very lush doesn't need to be chewed doesn't you know it, two bites and it basically breaks up so your animals not chewing enough so then it's not producing a lot of saliva that it's not swallowing down so gradually your rumen becomes more acid and that leads to rumen upsets. They don't then eat enough, they start to lose weight and you start to get that imbalance that causes production issues. You have to be a bit careful with protein because if you, uh, sorry, with 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 fibre because if you let it go too far and become too stemmy and too bulky in a paddock, it physically can't be consumed and takes up too much room inside the animal. So then because it's just, filling a rumen up with this big, massive of, of material, your animals can't physically eat enough to get the digestibility happening to get the energy that they need. So as a manager of livestock and of pastures, what we are ultimately trying to do is, is get a position where you've got the right amount of energy, the right amount of protein and fiber to make sure that your animals get their daily requirements. If you get those right, then you can worry about the two other things which are vitamins and minerals and mostly in a pasture environment, vitamins and minerals tend to take care of themselves, but there are situations where we may have um, mineral imbalances, and it's worth thinking about if that's the case, testing um, to see whether that's an issue and treating the animals with a specific program, similar to do that with vitamins. But those people who understand those key areas of, of energy, protein and fiber, are much more uh, likely to have a smart feeding program than someone who doesn't
0: Alastair yeah, just on on that, I know that we quite often you know when we're speaking to to clients and you know sometimes people get energy and protein around the wrong way, and they talk about protein as being the most important thing that they're supplying the animals. It's really important that we, we get that around the right way and that we talk about energy as the first part. It's a bit like the leaky bucket. You know, you can have all of the protein, all of the fibre, all of the vitamins and minerals, et cetera, but if you're lacking in energy, you're never going to go further than what the law of that limiting nutrient is going to um, allow.
1: A- absolutely. It's, it's, and this is, I guess, that comes back to this confusion where people don't understand what the rumen is trying to do. The rumen is designed to allow pasture-based materials to be broken apart so that energy can be absorbed. So we're trying, and you know, in a, in a grazing environment, the cheapest way to get energy into an animal is to allow it to graze pasture. But um, that energy can only be accessed if the rumen is functioning correctly. So we, we need to make sure the protein is there and available to keep that, that, that if you like, that engine ticking over. But um, there's no point firing the engine up and, and throwing protein down an animal's throat if there's no energy there. It's like having you know a race car sitting out there with the engine tuned and ready to go if you've got no fuel to put into it. So it will only perform if you've actually got energy in the form of fuel. And for livestock, That's the energy that's available and accessible in the feed it consumes. So when we talk about people who who focus on protein supplementation, what they really should be saying is how can I make our animals rumen function so that they can eat more and digest more energy in every stomach full each day?
0: Wise words, Alastair. Moving on from understanding what key components that we've got in a ration, the next step I reckon would be talking about or thinking about what the requirements of the class of livestock we've got are.
1: Yeah, and and this is a a really good point, Megan, because again, there are people who would like to just have a silver bullet, which is feed this much of this feed each day. That doesn't happen because our livestock are all different. Everything is, it's a, move, it's a constantly moving environment that we're trying to manage and make sure works the most efficient way. And so what we would then come back down to is to think about what are the minimum requirements for the class of animals that we're talking about, because it's going to vary quite a lot. And obviously, take it back to what we said at the start in terms of maintenance energy and production energy. Maintenance energy is going to be driven by how big that animal is, how fat that animal is, and then after that, what are we expecting it to do in terms of production? So when we talk about intake requirements, if we talk about cattle as an example, to maintain a dry cow, so we're not expecting to put weight on, we're not expecting anything else to happen, she will need a certain amount of feed, which we talk about in kilograms of dry matter, and that takes out the moisture component of that feed. So we always talk about it without moisture included so we can compare feeds against each other. A dry cow needs on a maintenance level about 1.8% of her body weight each day. So that's the physical amount that she needs. But then there comes with it how much energy and protein does she need for that to to allow her to meet those maintenance requirements. And in in cows, it's about eight megs and about 8% crude protein. If we did the same thing with a dry sheep, it actually comes out very similarly. So again, about 1.8, 1.9% of the dry matter, of the percent of her live weight on a dry matter basis and about eight megs of energy and 8% crude protein. As soon as we start to, to want them to do more, so to join them or to maintain the growth of a calf or a lamb or to go into lactation and supporting um, a, a set of lambs or a calf, we need to know that that animal physically is going to eat more and that, that what she eats has to be more in energy and more in protein than if she was a dry animal because she's got much more demands for her energy to maintain herself and produce milk for the the offspring that she has. So you really have to be very much aware of where your animals are at as you make your ration plans and say, okay, here is a group of cows that are at this stage of of the the annual cycle. They are this weight, so they will be consuming this much in kilograms of dry matter per day. And it needs to be this level of energy and protein and be within, I guess, that 30 to 60% range of fibre. Otherwise, they won't eat enough and they won't meet their targets. Or we have a group of, of, of ewes with, with twin lambs on them and we need to think about, they need to have a fairly high level of energy. Again, you know, close to 17 megs of energy for a 50 kilo ewe in, in early lactation. And it's gotta be at least 14, probably 16% crude protein to really hit those milk requirements um, to keep those lambs going. So once you know that, then you can start to calculate amounts because you're working on on the amount per animal and you multiply that across the number of animals you're looking to feed.
0: So Alastair, I guess this isn't something that you need to be able to just pull out of your mind at any one time. There's there's tools around that can help you work out what the energy requirements are for twin bearing you, on day one of lactation, or on the point of lambing, and the, and the same for, you know, a cow that's, you know, on the point of calving. There's there's tools that we can use. Where can we go to to, to find out how to to sort of refine this rather than just sort of, you know, winging it, I guess.
1: Yeah, look, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, one of the things is that we know that the amounts very much because we've got the ruminant standards uh, for Australia. They feed into to computer programs that are accessible through things like Grassfeed, and people who've done progress in the past will have seen that. Um, the AWI Winning with Wieners uh, workshop, it's a terrific day um, for people looking to try and have greater success in, in increasing their wiener survivability. Um, and we have similar things in the cattle world as well. But one of the best things that, that I tend to, to lean to, the most practical and, and probably the most convenient, is an app that's been developed by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries, which is the Drought and Supplementary Feeding Calculator. And it, if you like, has taken all of the standards that we use that have come out of grass feed and the ruminant standards to allow us to, to be able to put in the paddock um, some assessments into that, that app to do a couple of things so there's it's designed to do a couple of different things the first is it lets us compare what the best bang for our buck is in a dollar value on feeds that might be an option for us so quite often people will ring you or me Megan and say look I've, I can get barley hay from here on farm at you know four hundred dollars a ton and I can get you know oats from here at you know four hundred dollars a ton which is going to be better for me and we can use the calculator to give you a price per unit of energy and per kilogram of protein, and you can make a decision which which best suits your requirements. And that's a great use of that calculator. But what we've taken it to the next level is allowing you to be able to look at a pasture and make an assessment on the stock that are actually grazing that. So as you say, we could put into that use at the... Um, with a lactation with um, a single lamb, if you like, it, at, at a certain weight and the number in that mob. And we can then say how big is the paddock that they're grazing and what stage of that digestibility and amount is that pasture. You don't have to be an agronomist to do that. There's a nice little graph in there that you can look at and say, well, I think the pasture looks like this, fairly uh, leafy with a little bit of seed in it. You select that that image and that will then set your digestibility and then it just says how high do you think this pasture is on average and how dense do you think it is. That will calculate for you the amount of pasture feed available. It will then, from there, tell you whether that pasture is sufficient for the stock that you've got in there, whether it's sufficient to meet their energy requirements or not. And you'll get a nice little red warning that says they're only eating of their daily energy requirements or 50% or whatever it is. It then says you will need a supplement. So you step through and say, well, let's compare or choose supplements. And you don't even have to calculate the amounts. All you need is to choose, well, I've got oats in a silo or I've got hay in a shed or I've got some silage in a pit. And you can choose all of those and compare them or you can make a ration up if you wanted to. But once you select the particular feed that you're looking to do, the app will tell you how much you need to physically put out to each animal each day and how much it will cost. I reckon it's the most powerful and useful tool that we have um, that sits on your phone. You don't need to be connected to the internet. You don't need to be connected to the mobile network. Once it's downloaded to your phone, it's there and you can keep updating it with your own rations. But you can actually get some, some really good outcomes about what I need to do for these animals today to meet their, their energy demands. It's a, it's a great tool.
0: It is a good tool. And I guess, importantly, for those of us who, who may or may not be familiar with the tool, there's tutorials available to, to watch to, to help you learn that if you're a little bit unsure but want to have a crack at it yourself.
1: Absolutely. And, I mean, look, and also part of the back to business with MLA um, is, is also... Making use of these webinars, but getting in touch with the presenters um, who use it fairly frequently, and, and there's you know myself and quite a few other people like yourself, Megan and others who've been involved who, you know, are always able to to help um, take people through and, and guide them. So it is important to continue to access good quality information, and that probably is the other part of of, of feeding correctly is being very Discerning about the information that you select and making sure that you're addressing the right points.
0: It's important, isn't it? You know, it's one of those things. It's not real. Like, I mean, feeding and and animal nutrition really underpins the production that you're going to get from from your livestock, and it's really not something that you should be winging. And and there's there's plenty of opportunities for you to get the information from from people, from tools, and from other resources. Just getting back to the nuts and bolts of a feed budget. What sort of time frame do you like to work with, with with regards to your feed budget, Alistair?
1: I generally work on a on about a 30-day basis, Megan. Um and, and I do that for, for a specific reason. I, I think six weeks tends to be just a little bit too long, particularly I think for sheep who've got um you know, everything happens a little bit quicker, you know, gestation is a lot shorter than it is for cattle. Um yeah, you know, we we everything's a little bit quicker than say in a cattle program, but even within cattle, um, you know, on a good quality um, diet, cattle will change a fat score in within 40 days. So I reckon 30 days a month is a really, I guess, a practical time to to do some assumptions about um, how much you will need for the month ahead. But it also gives you then a bit of a planning window to say, okay, I'm going to use according to the app and based on consumption of pasture, I'm gonna be feeding, you know, five tonnes of feed this month, um, and I that means that that I'll probably be rolling that over into the next month, but I might be needing to increase the amount of storage I have, or feed on hand, or every, anything else. So it gives you, I guess, a bit of a planning window um, with enough um, capacity to respond to changes, but doesn't lock you into being too panicked, um, and and it's not so long that that you're not able to respond to seasonal changes or other things that might occur
0: it's such an important thing to to put that context around your feed budget and you know I mean I guess you know I'm a bit like yourself I really like a good feed budget and I've been known to to break a a sheep one down into fortnightly increments just to account for that point that you made earlier Alastair, that things you know can change quite rapidly with a sheep just given that the you know the gestation's is 150 days, so things things can you know change, particularly in the last trimester of of um, gestation, things change quite rapidly. So yeah, I've certainly been known to um to use a, a two week increment, but maybe look at a six week length of time, like your planning window. So again, it's a bit of a horses yeah, for courses.
1: It is, but I think that that's a really good approach. I think I think your feed budgets have got to be. I don't know that you, weekly gives you any, you know, weekly is probably too short. Fortnightly, I think, for sheep is probably perfect in a lot of ways, but you need to probably set it in that context of a window. 30 days for cattle is about right. But it also then, I mean, we're looking, you know, Fridays, for those people listening in today, they're probably hunkered down where it's warm and dry, but outside they've got livestock that are really dealing with cold conditions. And we know that critical temperatures. Um, the lower critical temperatures for stock, where they need more energy to stay warm or they'll use more energy to stay warm, really do change the amount of feed that you need to provide. We normally would expect in, in, in cold snaps like the one that we have this week, you should be feeding about 20% more of, of a daily requirement than, than you might have budgeted for. So having that into your, that, that capacity to respond to those changes in, is important. And so four weeks or two weeks, depending on your stock, is probably about right.
0: And and again, thinking about that cold weather and, and um and giving them some um, you know, a bit of an adjustment in the lead up to that cold weather and then throughout the cold weather just to help them, um, because obviously their energy requirements are going to go up because of the the cooler temperatures. What are some of your key tips and um um you know how, how do you sort of, you know, suggest people Go about that. Obviously, we're coming into the cooler months of the year, so this is going to become a little bit more frequent, um, presumably with these cold blasts that we get. What are your key tips for people uh, when it comes to feed budgeting and, and mitigating against, you know, forthcoming cold changes?
1: Well, I might talk mitigation to start with because you know it is as, as silly as it sounds, but I, I mean, planning ahead. These these events are, are given, you know, a fairly good lead up now in terms of weather forecasts. So you've generally got um, you know, a fair bit of notice that something is about to happen. So starting to consider to move to those more sheltered paddocks, particularly the stock that are the most vulnerable. So the lactating uh, ewes and lactating cows, uh, sheep off shears, more younger, lighter animals, the ones that are, are, are more prone to, to cold, um, giving them that opportunity to break up the wind speed and so on. That's important. But then the other part of it is that they will, as temperatures um, and rainfall and wind all combine to to put a chill um, into the environment, there needs to be offset by the amount of energy that they can either burn off or consume and burn off. So increasing rations ahead of the front is important, but also giving your stock the opportunity to adjust to those new rations, to know where where it is, to eat it and be used to eating it. So you want to be providing, I prefer haze over anything else because both the digestion of that hay helps release more, uh, more heat. There's a generation of heat from that fermentation as well as then the extra energy that's available from that increase in, in their ration. Um, that's important, um, but making sure that they know it's there and they're using it ahead of the cold front is really important. Um, it's also, I think, a really important thing not to to use, you know, low quality straws and roughages because stock just won't eat them. Particularly if they've got a choice between green pick and and roughage, they're just going to ignore it, and and so you don't get the benefit that you're trying to get, which is increased energy, increased fermentation, increased warmth.
0: Alistair. I think that um, we've, we've certainly had a lot to cover and in a pretty short period of time. I, I, I guess, you know, the, the key points um, that I've taken from our conversation are that, you know, number one, we need to have a, a bit of a, an end point and a purpose to what it is that we're doing when we're thinking about our livestock nutrition. Uh, we also need to consider that, that our pasture may or may not contain what our um, livestock requirements are and so knowing what our livestock requirements are. Knowing the difference between energy, protein, fiber, vitamins, and minerals, and what their role is in um, in maintaining and production feeding animals, and then importantly, which tools to use. And I think I think we've covered a fair bit of that today. And I, I just wanted to thank you for your time today. Um, and if people people are um, interested in uh, making themselves available to the the back to business consulting program, there's, there's certainly a great opportunity there to get some. Uh, You know, a second set of eyes, look over your feed budgets and, and I think it's going to be time well spent for people. So thanks, Alistair, for joining us today.
1: Not a worry. Thank you again for the opportunity, Megan.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Back to Business podcast, a partnership of Meat and Livestock Australia, Australian Wool Innovation, Integrity Systems Company and Sheep Connect New South Wales. In the meantime, if you're finding this information really useful, we would love for you to share this podcast amongst your own networks and appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes so that other farmers can find this Back to Business podcast.